Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. Let me ask you a question and like, you know, keep in mind that I'm just an idiot. Like, I don't know anything about anything, right? But how much of this do you feel like is kind of not a direct result of coronavirus, but just like, like, do you think psychologically we're a little bit more amped up than we have been previously? Because, um, you know, where we've been kind of cooped inside and some people, a lot of people have lost income. A lot of people have, you know, lost family members. Like things are just a little um, atmospherically kind of complex. Like, do you think that plays into this or do you think that's just like kind of a marginal thing? I, well, at, cause at the same time, all these people don't care about the virus. They don't believe it's real. They don't believe it's a, they believe it's a hoax. Right. So it's, so it's like, of course, I, I do think it does add fuel to the fire, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I do think on some subconscious level being told you can't do something really gets people agitated Yeah, and like, like right up to the edge. Yeah. Yeah, because I only recently started considering because um, <clears throat> I went to my buddy's wedding, right? Uh-huh. Last week. Right. And um, it was only like 20 people and, and all that kind of stuff. But I realized that that was the largest group that I had been in in a year. Right. And it felt really strange. You know what I mean? And so I was wondering, like, how much my psychology has kind of shifted, like my internal psychology has kind of shifted uh, like just over the course of this year and whether there'd be any like long-term effects of that. Uh, I still feel good. You know, I feel good. I feel great. You feel good about the decision going to the wedding. You feel good about, Oh, not, a, I mean, <laughs> were you anxious going, going to the wedding? Were you like, I shouldn't be going to this the whole time driving there? Uh, it, it certainly like crossed my mind. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, it yeah. certainly crossed my mind, but I, um, once I was there and once I realized how like indoor outdoor it was and uh, not to mention a majority of us actually took tests before we went. Mm-hmm. So a more a majority of us knew we were negative going in. Did you um, go to that shady testing place again? No, I've never gone back to there. But well, so now I've got this whole new problem about testing. Actually, this is a good. OK, I need to. <laughs> so a while back, I think last year. Tori and I were supposed to go visit her mom in Hawaii. Right. And her new husband at the time, fiance, uh, gave us plane tickets as a, as a present, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. You know. So we didn't end up going because, um, you know, coronavirus and the wedding got pushed and like all kinds of stuff. It just got crazy. Right. So we didn't end up going. So now... They basically came up with the idea to have us go now in February. What? Yeah. So I normally, just as a person, um, I complain a lot and I, you know, but when it comes to, you know, things that I understand that I don't understand completely, because look, it sounds idiotic to me, right? But I also, my family lives in Tucson. I can go see them whenever the fuck I want. 
Right. Right. It's it's not, and it hasn't been that long. I mean, it's been a bit just because, well, it's been th- since Thanksgiving. And even then, that was like, maybe we shouldn't have done that because of, you know, coronavirus and et cetera. So, so maybe I don't understand <clears throat> entirely what that's like and all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of kept my mouth shut about it. But the part that doesn't make any fucking sense to me is we're going from the place of the highest concentration of positive California. Tests. What? Oh, uh, Scottsdale, California. No, Phoenix. Phoenix. No, the highest rate. Yeah, Maricopa County is the highest infection rate in the world. In the world. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going from the place of the highest infection rate to one of the places of the lowest infection rate. It's like, I don't think they're going to let us fucking in. That's number one. (laughs) But number two, evidently they will let you in. They will let you in. But here's the procedure that has to happen. You don't have to 14-day quarantine or whatever because obviously that's not an option. Like, I can't miss that much work or do, you know, whatever. You can. You have unlimited time off. (laughs) Well, they call it unlimited time off. Speaking of, do you know how much PTO I took last year? Three hours. Uh, Close. Seven days. Seven days. It's like cumulatively across the year. It's like, God damn, I need to take more time off. So you didn't even get your two weeks in. Yeah, well, exactly. Because it's like they don't even put a limit on it. But people of my like people in my same kind of strata are getting, you know, um, like they're taking at least 14 days, if not 18 or something like that. So it's like, well, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Anyways. So, so I'm trying to rectify that with this trip, but here's the thing. Uh, so you have to take a specific, like approved test by Hawaii. There's only several of them, an approved PCR test. So PCR test means it's not a rapid test because the rapid test is the molecular whatever test. Right. Right. So the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction test, that one is not a rapid test means it takes some days to process. Uh Uh-huh. But you have to have taken the test 72 hours from the last leg of your journey into Hawaii. So take it there. I can't take it there. Wait, wait. You have it to take it 72 get... hours before you leave to Hawaii? Well, that's see, that's the tricky thing in the wording. 72 hours before the last leg of your trip into Hawaii. So that means if you are catching a direct flight, like, I don't know shit about Hawaii. So, you know, whatever. But I'd imagine there's a direct flight into Honolulu because that's the capital. And I think that's the big island or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, um, so I think... If you were taking a direct flight, it would just have to be 72 hours before you board your plane on like you have to have a pot or a negative result within 72 hours of boarding your flight to Honolulu. Our fucking thing, though, is we are not going on a direct flight. We're going. yeah. So we're going on one flight to Hawaii and then another flight in Hawaii to Maui specifically. Which right. I hear is the good, <laughs> is the good. Okay, uh, I have no idea. I have always I have no idea. To go to I Hawaii, never gone, but dude, okay. All my vacations uh, when I was growing up as a kid are basically where there's a lot of like suffering in the world. You know what I mean? Like my dad wanted to make sure that we understood that there was like a lot of suffering in the world and shit uh, like that. And one more layer has been peeled off of the Atish onion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and man, don't like I didn't so. I also didn't realize that like hikes could be fun, like a fun thing you do with your friends or whatever until I was an adult in college. Like 
hikes to me. My dad used to tell us that we had to be quiet during hikes because we had to conserve our energy to keep going. So it's like it was just like a silent death march. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, to say to that. So you have you have a, a flight from the mainland to Maui. Yes, the main, exa- the main island or big yeah, the island. Main, so internal of Hawaii. So that means that it has to be 72 hours from that second flight. So we have to have gotten a negative result within 72 hours of not the first flight, but the second flight. So me trying to like work out the mechanics of how this all works, because that means we have to have sent in the test somewhere between three to five days in order to get our results back. Right. Right. But it can't be five days because that runs the risk of putting us beyond 72 hours from the last flight. But it can't be like three days is cutting it close because then they might not have processed it in time. So me trying to figure all this out and schedule this, it's like that Zach Galifianakis meme from um, uh, probably hangover. Yeah, ha- probably hangover where it's like yeah. all the numbers and stuff like that going by. It's like, dude, why the fuck are we doing this at all? It sounds like such a dumb idea. Like I, yeah, that's well. To me, I'm hearing you just have to take a test, and if you pass it or fail it, you know, it, you get two. You get two wins or one loss, depending if you get a positive or a negative. If you uh, get a negative test, you got two wins: a free trip to Hawaii, and you for sure don't have coronavirus. Right. Yeah. That's which true. is nice. Yeah. And then if you get if you get positive, you have like. You lose your free trip to Hawaii and you get 14 days off of work. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. If I could, I mean, one would think so, right? But I'm still, I'm doing work right now. <laughs> so, it's right. Like, but, but, but you can't, you know, you should probably focus on your health and well being yeah, during that true. time and you should turn it off. Yeah. That's, uh, oh God. Have you ever seen a hot fuzz? I have. Uh, that whole joke about him not being able to turn it off. Yeah, exactly. I'm like yeah. Simon Pegg in that movie. Yeah, like Simon Pegg in that movie. Uh, exactly. Nicholas Angel. Nicholas Angel. Yeah, Sergeant Nicholas Angel. Although I'm much worse at shooting guns. So have you have you seen uh, Book of Mormon yet? No, I haven't. There's a there's a song in there called uh, "Just Turn It Off." Mm. Is it about how, the same thing or? It's about how uh, Mormons suppress uh, feelings they want to express, but they can't really deal with it. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So I need to turn off my workaholism. Uh, yeah, just turn it off like a light switch. Of all the aholisms, workaholism is certainly the least fun. Right. Unless you love your job. Yeah. Unless you love what you do. If you're if you're true to yourself and doing the thing that you want to be doing for the rest of your life. <laughs> that right there is arguably probably the best segue this podcast has seen which mind you is still clunky as shit but that's the best we've had on this show ever because usually i'm trying to segue and they're fucking terrible (laughs) it only took 28 episodes yeah i don't oh yeah yeah good good job good job anyways um yeah today we're we're continuing our series uh so uh, you know forgive me for for airing my you know, Hawaiian vacation woes, but this is basically the the problems that we're engaged in now. But uh, uh, yeah, we're we're continuing our series on on kind of a uh, you know beginning of the year like tools or or tool uh, 
uh, or tools within the toolkit for entrepreneurs. And one of the things that Chris and I have been talking about a lot recently, actually, and we, we kind of alluded to this last week, was um, why authenticity matters. And I can think of a million different ways uh, that this really applies. Some of them are very specific to, to what I'm doing currently and, and uh, you know, my kind of struggles right now. But, um, but uh, you know, not to, not to brush that off or whatever, but what uh, – this sounds like a corny-ass question that you would ask on a panel, but what, what does authenticity mean to you? Like what, <sighs> what, what, uh, what does that mean in terms of, you know, your workflow and in terms of your – like how, how does that get expressed in Elephant Scout, Focus Scout, and kind of your, your business? I think for me, the authenticity just means being uh, true to yourself and only pursuing things that you find value in and find uh, joy in and happiness. In. And in doing that, it really motivates you to really want to work. And, and it kind of you kind of exude this energy of someone that enjoys what they do. And people latch onto that energy because, oh, there's someone that actually cares about this. Right. And that kind of trickles down when you work with a crew or with other people. People mm -hmm. are more uh, likely to find value in something that somebody actually cares about versus, uh, you know, just doing your nine to five, punching in the numbers, filling out your spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's I, I actually absolutely kind of agree with that with that. Um, kind of breakout because or or that that thought because that it has something that's that's been something that's really top of mind for me recently like uh we'll get into the real personal nitty-gritty about it you know not not on the podcast unless of course we find out that ramen profitable listeners really do want to hear about my you know personal woes and all that kind of stuff but um to be less specific that's really been top of mind for me recently because uh it i keep going back to this concept that um, I'm good at doing the hard stuff that I don't want to do anyways. Like, like basically um, like having discipline, I guess is just a very roundabout way of do saying, it. but there's a distinct difference that I feel when I'm doing something out of some sense of obligation or I'm doing something out of some sense of like, oh, I need to do it because I want to become this person. So therefore, I need to do X, Y, Z as if I'm like doing it off of a list. There's a distinct difference between that and when I'm actively approaching something with curiosity and when I'm approaching something with like my own interest or my own you know, and that's the driving force as opposed to the driving force of doing something um, out of out of like a feeling of need. I think Tony Robbins, um, you know, and people have mixed feelings about Tony Robbins. I dig what he does. So, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm kind of a motivational speech guy. I, I like that that shit. Um, but Tony Robbins said that there's a difference between a push and a pull. And pushing is basically like discipline. And it's really good that you have that. You have to have that, that you're able to like, you know, push yourself in order to do something that you really, you know, you don't feel like it today. You're tired. You know, you need to get this work done. You're doing all the spreadsheets and shit. And it's just like it's boring work and you know whatever. And that's good to have. But it's different than being pulled. 
into something. Being pulled into something is that like you can't stop yourself. You can't like you are going to do it whether you get paid for it or not. You want to do it just because it is what you're like. It's the difference between being motivated and being driven. So that has recently been just really top of mind for me because what I do now, you know, and, and this is, this borders on, you know, being something that maybe I shouldn't say on the podcast because as we're trying to promote it more, the likelihood of my coworkers or bosses or whatever, finding it is a higher, but you know, what I do now, I'm, I push myself to do and I push Mm -hmm. myself to do it really, really well. But there's a distinct difference between that and me being pulled into it. And I keep finding that the things that I'm pulled into doing, you know, even like last weekend, I had a long week. It was it was my buddy's wedding. I had a long weekend of drinking and stuff. I didn't feel well, but I still was, you know, reading articles and stuff like that about the ingredients that I'm putting into flow roll and, you know, uh, people's uh there was there was somebody who recently did a uh a long form like video series he's a jujitsu black belt and uh-huh. he did a long form video series about like his nutrition and supplementation regime and stuff like that and i was like okay let me see what this guy's doing and like and i'm pulled to do that nobody was telling me to do that i'm on my own schedule i didn't have to you know do that i was hung over for a good period of the time but i was pulled to do it anyways and so what that's been kind of internally messaging to me is that where I do my, you know, best sort of creative thinking is in the stuff that I'm pulled to do, the things that are like authentically true to to who I am as a person, rather than, you know, the the internal obligations I feel to be like, oh, I need to be a guy in a suit who does whatever and you know I gotta work. I gotta climb the corporate ladder. I gotta get that promotion in two point five years. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It's like it it was, you know, one of the first times in my life that I felt that because and you know, I've got I think we've done many podcasts on my on my, you know, personal history and blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. So if you wanna check those out, check out, you know, CSS, Creative I Strategize, Synergize, maybe even earlier episodes of Ramen Profitable. I'm not sure, but um, no need to dig into that, but basically, yeah, this is one of the first times in my life where I actually feel, um, <laughs> pulled into doing something as opposed to like, oh, I need to do something because, you know, my dad has expectations of me and therefore I need to be this person or that person or something. Like right. That. Yeah. It's a, it was really kind of a, a unique experience. Like it, it, uh, finally felt, I mean, I don't know, you transitioned so kind of young almost or so early into running your own business and, and doing something like with your kind of creative talents and stuff like that. Was that kind of an internal conversation that you had to negotiate with yourself or, or how did you make that flip and how were you so resolute in like knowing that like this was your authentic kind of bringing yourself to work sort of? Um, I think for I'm, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a thinker. I don't think I, I think things through a lot. I'm not a real overthinker. I'm not, I'm not a big planner. Uh, at the time I wasn't a big planner and it's, uh, just something I kind of just fly by the seat of my pants. You know, what happens happens, what doesn't doesn't, yeah. and you kind of just move forward. So I think for me, I wasn't liking, cause I didn't do the Atish. I didn't go to, I didn't have, uh, educators as parents. Mm-hmm. They're like, go yeah. to college, get your master's, get your doctorate, become a statistician. I don't know what your parents told you. <laughs> yes, I do. You talk about it all the time. That's true. <laughs> but uh, 
but 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 I came from a family of people that just went out and did jobs and were like you know hard workers. They did yeah. you know they police officers and teachers, and so it's just not really uh, education driven. They're not. It's not like you know you know what I'm talking about. It, it, yeah, the, it's, the, it's the, not. They're it's blue not, collar jobs versus white collar. They're not jobs yeah, that require to, degrees to be you know doctors or nurses or anything like that. But right. which is I think is great. But it was it's just never something that was like I guess it was told to me, but it wasn't uh, shown to me. And I'm more mm-hmm. of a I watch I learn more by showing than being told what to do. Yeah. yeah. I learn more by doing than actually reading about it. So I, I'm uh, I'm that kind of kind of learner. Yeah, which which I mean probably manifests itself pretty well in, you know, how you developed because it's you went to film school but realistically it's like and and i don't know anything about film school so definitely correct me where i'm you know straying off the path here but i would imagine in film school you learn a lot about theory and you learn a lot about you know applications and tools and stuff like that but ultimately at the end of the day in order to write you have to write and in order to be you know figure out how to shoot a film or how to shoot whatever you actually have to shoot a film and do that stuff so it's it's that really manifests in in that way because it's like well the only way to learn how to do it is to do it right when i went to when i first started going to college uh i was at the u of a and i tried to get into the film program there and it was a big uh big mess trying to get into that film uh (laughs) film school and uh I decided to check out the community college here, Pima Community College. Mm-hmm. And so I just was able to show up one day and just actually just like take a class. And it's just, you're in it. Day one, they give you a camera. You go off and shoot stuff. We watch it in the class. We review it. And then we get lessons and we learn all the technical hands-on aspects of filmmaking. Like how to comp- compose your shots, how to yeah. operate the camera, how to set up the light and the tripods and the sound and all the technical tools you need to actually execute a film. Uh, and then I learned at the U of A, their approach was completely different. It was all theory based and just sitting around talking about movies. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of training you to be more of a film critic versus an actual filmmaker. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not against film critics, but I just, it's not where I wanted to go. It's not the yeah. thing I wanted to do. And they, they're, the way they would learn composition is they would take still digital still cameras and take pictures and then they would uh, critique a single frame. But, you know, film is 24 pictures in a row for a second. So it's like, how are you really learning how to tell a story through film that way? Yeah. And it's, it, it just seems so in the head versus out in the real world, actually doing things. Right. Like applying the stuff that, that you're learning essentially as opposed right. to like, you know, cause we can sit in the classroom all day long, but that doesn't make you a good filmmaker. Right. And I've, I've always had this fear of being stuck somewhere and mm-hmm. I felt like learning how to do everything in your head just gets you stuck in your head. And I wanted mm-hmm. to be more out and about doing things and working on stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with any job I had growing up, I always felt every time I was like, I used to work at a country club and they kept moving me up and like giving me more responsibilities. And I just saw the management uh, above me that had been there for 10 years and they yeah. kind of were just stuck in this job. And I didn't, not that it's not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But I just, I just don't want to be that guy stuck at a country club. So I, I want to uh, not to interrupt your flow here, but this is something that I absolutely want to like bold underline and double click on. Um, 
for any listeners who might be kind of younger or or just starting your career or something like that, I want to point out something that Chris said that is immensely valuable that it took me a while to figure out, uh, but is like it, the earlier you get this, the better it's going to be. Um, having being a person who has a bias towards action, meaning, you know, not just ruminating on what, you know, you should do or how we could make this better or whatever, or how you can make your own life better or what you want out of your career, but being someone who has a bias towards action, who is going to just maybe uh, do something and then like you are going to, you just are results driven as opposed to, you know, just sitting and waiting for instruction that will get you farther in life than, and this is a real big generalization, but that'll get you farther in life than being the most knowledgeable person in the room. Just as it like, because I've been both, right? I've been the most knowledgeable person in the room and I've been the person who has a bias towards action. And what I can definitely, like what I can say with almost certainty is that being the person who has a bias towards action, that's going to get you far. Whereas, you know, just being the most like studied person in the room or something like that, eh, it, 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 it's good. But it's not as good as just doing what you need to do. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted. No, to that's that. that is. I I do feel like that. I I feel like that as well. Sometimes just sitting around and waiting for things to happen, and yeah. I feel like uh, the sooner you do realize, yeah, nothing's going to come to you. You just need to go out and get it. I, it's it just makes everything easier and better. Yeah, and also you get to go after the things that you want to come back to the uh, authentic theme. Yeah. It's like things that are real that, you know, resonate with you, things that you respond to. It's easier to go chase those things. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so even when I was working at like the news station at, at Channel 4, I, I, I got promoted really rather, rather quickly, quickly. Rather. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I just looked above me to see where else I could go with this. And I just felt like I'm stuck here. Yeah for 20 years till I can actually move, move up or move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just, I bail on all those situations. I probably shouldn't have because having a steady job during this time would have been nice. Uh, I'll, uh, I, I want you to finish your narrative, but I do want to, this is another point that I want to put a pin in and we'll circle back yeah. to, but please continue. But, um, so what was, I actually forgot what we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about authenticity in so far as much as like how it developed into your early kind of career because you were making the flip from working uh, at at uh, was it KVOA? Yeah, KVOA, and I was also doing uh, after KVOA. I was doing freelance uh, corporate AV, which mm-hmm. is just another field where there's no upward growth, and it's also uh, not the thing I want to do, but like adjacent. So mm-hmm. even at like the news station, it's yeah, it's you know, video stuff and I'm editing on the fly and people are mm-hmm. watching it. Mm-hmm. It's not a making a movie. It's adjacent to that. So it's uh, getting out of the adjacent fields kind of is what is focus uh, focuses me towards the film career I'm aiming for. Yeah. That, okay. So there was a couple things I wanted to unpack from that because it's, this is, um, this is, uh, essentially one of the things that I, it's why I read a lot of um, biographies or autobiographies or why I'm so interested in other people's success stories and why I'm interested, you know, especially in Chris Scott's narrative here is because you can pick out good principles and you can pick out good, you know, 
kind of ideas to model yourself after or things that things that resonate. And it's almost in like a Bruce Lee sort of thing. Right. You want to uh, be like water. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We don't upload the video on these, but Chris is giving me the most like skeptical. <laughs> like he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, what I mean is like Bruce Lee adapted uh, all styles and or what he said was adapt all styles, take what works and discard the rest. Meaning that that's why he was so revolutionary, because he wasn't teaching these kind of dated forms of. Uh, I don't know, karate or whatever was around at the time, he picked out the things that were actually effective from all these multiple different types of martial arts. And then he just applied the things that worked and discarded all of the stuff that doesn't work. So similarly, you know, that's how you can kind of just read a lot about, you know, people that you find interesting or about, you know, people uh, who's who inspire you or something like that. And you can kind of start to pick out what works and then discard the rest. So what I mean by that specifically and what I what I kind of saw in or or what we should observe in Chris's story here and this comes not from me this comes from the great uh Matthew McConaughey. Chris are you a, are you a fan? I don't know. My opinions of Matthew McConaughey have been uh not defined, but I don't know. What he's, do you mean? Uh He's Matthew McConaughey. Hmm. Yeah. Well, is it because he's half and half? He's got like half bullshit work and half like really good or in my opinion, good stuff. No, I I think with I don't know. I think it all depends. Like his his uh, I think Matthew McConaughey is what we call a movie star. Right. I mean, people go and watch Matthew McConaughey movies because it's a Matthew McConaughey uh, as opposed to going to a movie to watch the movie itself. Yeah. And I just don't know how I feel about his movie star personality. I don't know if he's someone I would want to hang out with is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, sure. Remember when that was a thing that they uh, like people voted for George Bush on because they said he'd be like a good guy to get a beer with? I think the reason why people said that is because of Will Ferrell and his SNL impersonation kind of humanized George W. Bush. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Well, back to Matthew McConaughey and how this relates to Chris's story. I don't want to completely derail. (laughs) But uh Uh, So I'm uh, enough of a Matthew McConaughey fan that I bought the book Green Lights. Have you heard of his book? Uh, It just came out recently. I haven't haven't read it. How is it? It's like a memoir and it's but it's assembled out of um, his uh, like his uh, journaling and stuff over the years. Right now, I haven't actually had the opportunity to read Green Lights because uh, I gave it as a gift first, but then it'll circle back to me once uh, Tori's finished with it and then I'll uh, then I'll read it. But what I did hear, because he did an interview uh, with uh, Tim Ferriss pretty recently, and so I heard one of the themes that's in the book Uh, Which is essentially that we as a society have gotten really good or at least one of the things that we do when we're in like a progressive mind state and we want to accelerate our careers or accelerate our relationships or do whatever is we're getting better at identifying what he calls red lights. So meaning when things are going poorly or when things are not how we want them to be, we can be like, oh, yeah, that was a mistake or this wasn't good or here's where I fucked up or all that kind of stuff. But we're actually pretty bad at figuring out. When when we have green lights, 
when things are going good, when we feel good, when we, we, we like actually don't pay attention to that. We only pay attention to the stuff that's going wrong, or at least certainly negative fucks like me do. Right. So what I kind of want to wanted to pull out of your narrative and what I wanted to kind of kind of flush out a little more and, and maybe give you have you give more context around because that's what I'm experiencing currently is Chris identified you know kind of some red lights like you you figured out that what you wanted didn't necessarily line up with what you saw with the opportunities in front of you that you you saw that like ah it's going to take me 20 years to move up or get anything in this and uh, it it wasn't really what I wanted currently like or what what I wanted was different than the role that I'm currently working in even might work, run into so the part that I struggle with historically is that I'm just like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And I think that that's because I didn't I'm very bad if I can analyze myself. I'm very bad at recognizing when I feel good about something or when something I like something and then pursuing that instead. I Historically, as as we kind of alluded to before, I just kind of did whatever the plan was for, because of my two parents who are in academia. So how did you start to make the flip from recognizing the red lights that were in front of you and then understanding where you actually wanted to put your time and attention? I think it came from, it's going to sound terrible because <laughs> it's something we shouldn't do, but I do it all the time. And I was, I would judge my coworkers mm. and I would judge and I would compare myself and I would be that guy that says, I don't want to be like that guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it's just like, you know, I, yeah, I know you've worked in a restaurant, but just like there are people that love working in restaurants. They love yep. that lifestyle of yep. working, you know, four to two partying from two to six. Yep. And you know, doing it all over again and then doing it all over again. They live life hard, which yeah. is you know, great. They love what they're doing, but just, it just, it's not what I wanted to do at the time. And then even at uh, the news station, it was looking at everyone I was surrounded by and just going, this isn't, this isn't for me. They're, like no one feels like they're treated well here, but they're all kind of stuck in this job because no one, you know, it took, uh, took opportunities to advance their yeah, their their uh, skill sets, their education to really pursue something you know greater or adjacent to the job they're doing, but in a better office or mm -hmm. field or or yeah, whatnot. yeah. So like climbing the ladder, just doing right, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, at the news station, not to talk trash on anybody, but a lot of them got the jobs like right out of high school, mm -hmm. and they, and they worked in the studio operating a camera for minimum wage, basically, and then they slowly worked their way up from experience in the studio versus going out and getting a film education or whatever mm -hmm. is needed to be in the film uh, or in the newsroom mm -hmm. operating the equipment. And it was just, it was just what, like seeing them kind of feel they look stuck. So I felt like I was going to turn into that. And I yeah. don't like that. I don't like that feeling obviously. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> Yeah, so it, it kind of, I mean, it, and I don't think, like, obviously that's something that is not the rhetoric that we, like, pass around the office or whatever, but let's be real. Like, that's 100% what, you know, we, we look to other people as reference points, and if we don't like the way th that's ending up, then we kind of 
work backwards and see the pathway there. And then that that's not how we want to go. Like we, we want to, what, it, what it is, is it's not the person. It's not like their actual being like their personality. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, you know, they're fun people. They're cool people. I would call them friends. I could still call them up right now and go hang out with them. Yeah. Like any of them. And I, I, I would want to do that because I like them as people. The part that I did not like was the, the, uh, environment that they were kind of trapped in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that goes back to, you know, being true to yourself and being authentic with yourself and knowing that that's not what you want, but also finding people that want the same things that you want and going, leaning towards that and, and pushing yourself towards those people. So you can, see what's out there or see if it's really the thing that you really want. And that the thing that you are going after is authentic to you and surrounding yourselves with other authentic people in that same bubble is going to help you feel better about everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that I also would certainly, uh, highlight that, uh, because I'm a, uh, recovering restaurant worker and uh as as you mentioned and you know to your point absolutely nothing wrong with that if you like that lifestyle and if you kind of it's it's certainly like i enjoy uh now more than ever like there are certain creative aspects on it that i wish that i had engaged on that i hadn't like for instance are you familiar with this guy binging with babish yes yeah that is an idea i mean the the food stuff, it's like I would never be able to match him or whatever. But I told Tori years ago that she should have started being because she's won like even uh, uh, national bartending competitions like she actually crushes. Right. Uh-huh. So it's like I told her years ago she should have started a YouTube channel like on that kind of ilk about like assembling this and what what this cocktail is perfect for and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And never executed on it. And now I see Babish has a, a commercial on Hulu where he assembles a Manhattan. And it's way simpler and not, I can guarantee, not as good as the Manhattan Tory makes. And uh-huh. I just, I tell her all the time, I was like, yep, could have been you. Could have been you. We could have been rolling in YouTube money. Um, but yeah, but so, so to each their own. And, and I definitely love the creative aspects that are coming out of it right now. But I was uh, stuck in that kind of, rotation where it's just like well I'm making today's money and I'm doing whatever's today and I wasn't and I was spending so much time being paralyzed by fear because I didn't have the plan that you know I had to align with my parents life as my only frame of reference but I wasn't listening to that authentic inner voice that actually was telling me like what I wanted to do or or the things that I wanted to learn more about or anything like that I was completely just stuck half my brain into what today's needs were like Mm -hmm. i need to be ready for this shift i need to be ready for and then the other half of my brain was just paralyzed in you know oh what i need to be a doctor by this year i need to do this i need to do that like i completely wasn't allowing myself to explore um what things actually make me tick and what things are actually pulling me into them as opposed to requiring a push and and what sort of things are the type of the type of things I'd be naturally curious about and driven to learn more about and driven to do something in or perform in or et cetera. So I think, uh, one of the things that I, I would recommend just as an actionable piece, one of the things that I would recommend to, especially any younger listeners who are like, you know, early twenties, just getting kind of started 
is write everything down. It sounds super corny, but when you write down stuff that is making you feel good or stuff that is interesting to you and you just see it enough times, the idea ends up forming. Like when I started writing down stuff about jujitsu and nootropics and all that, that's actually where that idea started taking like shape. It wasn't because I was, um, you know, already thinking like, oh, here's what I want to do. I want to run a supplement company. I want to do whatever. It's like, no, farther from the truth. I actually am just interested. Like Chris has known me a long time. I'm always, you know, figuring out different like tools or different supplements or different stuff that I can use for fitness or how to optimize my performance and stuff like that. We there was an earlier project where that was something that I was kind of working towards. And I'm always doing that stuff and I'm doing it naturally. And through writing it down here, I even have it. uh, I've got my book, my new book. Right. By writing it down over a long period of time, I realized, oh, I commit a lot of energy and attention to you know, my mental and physical fitness and my, um, and the like ways that I can kind of optimize and tweak and modulate and be like a home scientist at this. Like, I guess I'm doing that in my free time. How do I turn that into a career? Mm -hmm. And that's where the idea started coming along. And that's when I like came up with the idea of flow roll and, Oh, I love martial arts and all that, blah, blah, blah. All the, all the stuff that we've heard about on previous episodes, but it didn't come to me as like a thunderbolt idea that just dropped out of nowhere it was because i could see the patterns i could see the things that i was interested in doing the things that i authentically you know was genuinely curious about and the things that actually drove me to you know do things on my free time so i don't know if that's that's not the be all end all i don't think that's a tip for everyone necessarily but i think that's definitely a good place to start if you're younger if you're kind of confused about what you actually enjoy doing what you're you know for lack of a better term what your purpose is or whatever. Uh, did you see soul? I did see soul. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. Yeah. So like your spark in, in that sense, then your, your, what, what your spark is. And, and, uh, did you see uh, transformers? No, of course not. And, and the all spark. No, I don't <laughs> All I know, all I got, I, I did see the first transformers. And from that, I got my, uh, Shia LaBeouf impression, which goes a little something like this: No, 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 no. That's him. Good one, Atish. Dick. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of my my tip on uh authenticity and and just because that's been a real recent development for me is that I've figured out and. Maybe it's the transition. Maybe it's because I'm I'm uh, almost out of my 20s. By the end of this year, I'll be 30. Maybe that's just the transition that happens or whatever. But I, it really doesn't serve you to be operating under something that is not authentic and true to, to what you actually want to accomplish or what interests you or whatever that spark may be. Right. And it definitely is a paralyzing fear to break out of that comfort yeah. zone, the... Uh the uh cushion not the cushion what's 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 the word i'm looking for the uh convenience safety net. the safety yeah. net of you know uh, something that you're not a big fan of doing right and but nothing uh worth having is easy and it's just hard to get into the thing that you want to be doing but if you're you know truly passionate about it and authentic and true to your authentic self you know making a plan writing things down like Atish said and making a plan to achieve those steps 
you know, set a big goal and then break it down to smaller goals and then start working your way towards your authentic self. Definitely. And, and also understanding that it is okay to fail at these things. Like, you know how many times Chris Scott has had this conversation with me? Like so many times, so many times, like it's just part of it, right? It's, you have to hear it in the right way or you have to actually believe it. And it's really hard to do that. It's, it's tough. So, you know, but you know, you can learn from my mistakes and, and listen to the people who are signaling around you and trying to tell you because uh, that that's always been something that, that I struggled with. But, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a complicated process, but trust me when you do something that is real and meaningful to you, it uh, it doesn't feel like it's as much of a time expense or a money expense or, or whatever. You just you actively actually enjoy what you're doing and you actually create and see a path for yourself. Um, we only have about 15, 20 minutes left, but I wanted to touch on something because Chris and I were strategizing uh, or not strategizing, but we were refreshing topics uh, that we were going to bring up on the podcast. And there was something that uh, Chris brought up. I was curious to see what what exactly you meant by what did you mean by head games? Uh, this is probably not something to pair with authenticity. <laughs> well, I was just curious because because you said head games, and I was like, does he mean influence? Because that's definitely certainly a, a tool that I you know have studied and I kind of uh, think is important. But but what do you mean by head games? All right, so. When I work with clients doing corporate videos, I often deal with people that know what they don't want and they have no idea what they want. And I'm supposed to wave this magic wand to say, this is what you want. And every single time, it's never what they want. Okay. And it's, it's, it's frustrating working in this world of, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. And that leads you down this rabbit hole of doing something a hundred different times because someone doesn't know uh, yes, I, I know uh, what, what they want. About. And yep. it's uh, frustrating. It's annoying. And it, it wastes it your time. And I like to uh, say I value my time. And I don't like to uh, waste my time with these types of people that are just, uh, do you watch uh, What We Do in the Shadows? is no what is that it's a show on fx you should check it out it's hilarious it's about vampires it's like a mockumentary about vampires it's really funny Mm -hmm. uh there's but uh there was a movie of it and it was just like old classic vampires like nosferatu and dracula and stuff it was pretty funny but the tv show is more modern modernized and they have an emotional vampire on the show and it's just this guy going around trying to like suck everyone's uh, emotional energy and it's really funny okay um, is this a is is this an American show? Yeah, it's an American show. It's on oh, FX. If you're on the Hulu, about, ch- check it out. About this at all? Check it out. Okay. And so, um, that type of energy is something I don't like to give off, especially to clients that have already tried to undercut me or get yeah. a discount from me. And so, there are moments in uh, providing a draft to a client where I will. Uh, Put in something that's completely off, that's way off, mm-hmm. like uh, a shot that looks really bad or a sound bite that looks terrible. Sure. And I know it's terrible and everything else looks great. 
And it kind of gives the client something to focus their energy on. Mm. And uh, they're like, oh, everything was great except for this one thing. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's the one thing that I know is bad. And I take I, it out and then I adjust it accordingly. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's great. I see. Uh, OK, I, I completely actually understand. And, and I can say that I do something kind of vaguely similar. It's, it's in the wheelhouse, right? Um, so essentially, you're, you're, anticipating, you're anticipating the, yeah, this is all about influence. You're anticipating the uh, kind of predilections of your client or of your end customer. And you understand their need, their psychological need for like heavy control over the project whatever it might be. Right. Or the, the desire to have their influence be seen in every aspect of it. Cause it's their, yeah. you know, it's their project. I mean, it's their video. It's the video representing their company, their nonprofit, their, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not in their wheelhouse. Right. To the, well, they execute don't execute the project. Yeah. 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 They don't understand the, the physical application the way that you do. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's something that I do that's kind of vaguely similar, but in a different sort of respect. It's that I uh, have to send in these these deals. So like if we were to basically I'm constructing these or I'm not physically anymore, uh, but I'm now having other people do it and they have to I'm like doing the creative uh, like deal structuring in the background like how do we make the math work out the way we need to and all that kind of stuff for profitability and blah 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 all boring 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 stuff oh sorry you were talking <laughs> <laughs> um, so so oftentimes I know because finance has to ultimately approve the deal, like whatever we're doing, it has to make sense to them. Um, they have to read over my spreadsheets and things have to make sense. Like from a fiscal standpoint in terms of interest to the company, as well as obligations to the end customer. So oftentimes what I'll do is I know that there's something that's going to be an issue because if these were all easily solved problems, they wouldn't need me like that. That's why I work just with the major accounts team and stuff like that, because that's where all the complex sales go. And that's where we're really doing shit that isn't conventional. So I know that we're doing something that's breaking something in one way or another. Like I know we're not really doing the formal rules that the way we should be. So I will, um, right off the bat as we're submitting it, I don't just let, you know, finance take their time and get to it whenever they want to. I tag them on it immediately and I kind of call them out. I shoot out an email or I do whatever to to them with everybody visible. And I say, hey, just so you know, here's what's going on with this um, particular contract. Here's what's going on, you know, whatever. And I discuss what we're doing, but visible to everybody else so that I'm explaining why the deal makes sense even though I know that there's a problem, like there's a significant, there's something that's significant, but because I'm framing it in the way that I'm framing it, that it's like, this is a business case. This is why we need to, you know, I'm putting, I'm making the argument then that they have to come back and argue why, even though I'm explaining this makes sense, why we're going to shut it down because of X, Y, Z rules. And so in doing so, I kind of make the, the difficulty in doing that just a little bit higher so that, you know, we can pass these deals along and get them where we need to be. Now that said, the only reason I do so is because I know our business, you know, well enough that I've learned through experience that they're going to do the deal anyways. 
Like at the end of the day, sales runs this company and they're going to say, hey, we need to do the like we're going to do the deal anyways. I'm just getting us to the end point a little bit faster. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. I mean, there are role minders out there that, you know, everything has to be by the book. Right. But but it sounds exactly. like you're working in a in a on on deals that are that are in the book, but not defined by any specific chapter. Exactly. And yes. so trying to have the rule minders find the right chapters to apply to the deal sounds like it would be helpful to everyone. Right. Exactly. Basically, there's two. This is a very I think this is a, a, a quote from Jeb Blount, which is a weird last name to say Jeb Blount. Um He's like a, a sales sales guy. He's like one of those like kind of cheesy sales guys, but like he, I mean, can't argue with his results. Like he, uh-huh. he absolutely. So he started his own company and just like he's one of the masters of sales, right? One of the things he says is that there's two types of people. You need them both and they both play very important roles, but, you know, they both have different functions. There are rain makers and there are rain barrels. And so the rain barrels are more focused on what currently is and making sure what currently is stays that way. And Uh you need that in a company because it's like, look, if we all were just cowboys, then we'd fucking, you know, we'd run out of money. We like we'd ship too much product. We do too much. We're not looking at profitability and all of a sudden we're out of money. We need rain barrels. But you also sure as fuck need the rainmakers because without them constantly innovating and kind of pushing the envelope you know, you're not going to get the the exponential results that you desire that, you know, whatever. So I sit directly in between these two parties. Like that's basically my job is to like manage both of these two things, which is sometimes great, but also sometimes really frustrating and really difficult. And so the thing is, is being able to use your influence, being able to head games is an interesting way to <laughs> put it. It's a uh, foreigner song. That's why I always say head games. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's that's typical Chris Scott right there. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, basically being able to effectively use influence and not doing something that's, you know, dishonorable or not doing something that's like shady, I guess would be a, a way to put it. But knowing how to tactically apply influence and where to kind of emphasize things in order to drive the results that you need. Right. It's it's knowing you have the big picture in your head because this yeah. is, you know, your wheelhouse. This is what right. you do. This is what exactly. you've chosen to do. And and these other people are trying to influence your process and your vision and your skill set that you've acquired over the years or uh, your experiences. Your I'm blanking on the words. I got to work on my words for this podcast <laughs> experience. And so I've got plenty, uh, of, I've got plenty of words and not all of them I execute correctly. So just as a forewarning. <laughs> and so it's, it's about, uh, I, I think influence is all about valuing, valuing your time, not devaluing anyone else's, but being able to execute the job in a timely manner and a proper manner. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, you holding everyone's hands through the whole process. It's, it's, you know, Spending time with a client, finding out what they really want, what they truly want, you know, being able to decipher that. Spending time with the crew on set. And yeah, people have great ideas and, you know, can be rainmakers. But at the end of the day, they don't know how many barrels we have to fill up. 
yeah. they don't know like the end result or the, yes. the, yeah. the, the end goal. And then dealing with people on the, the back end of it, it's like, where is this going? Where is this, you know, being played? Where is this, you know, uh, where's this execution going to be most valuable to uh, everyone that's worked on it along the process? And like you, most times you're the only person that understands that mm-hmm. all three of those steps are all yeah, the entire world of a project and valuing uh, you could just, it can just suck everyone's time up to sit down and coddle everybody and their feelings. Yeah. Or like, oh yeah, let's try it. Let's do this your yes, way. Yes, it's yes, like, yes. no, 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 no. It's not going to be beneficial to the entire project. In a sense, that's a that that seems almost like an extension of authenticity because it's like you you are the subject matter expert. You are you have earned your stripes. It's like being being confident and comfortable in the role that you have to play because you have learned the skills that you need. Because I mean. So oftentimes I'd imagine when you're doing like ghost adventures or something, you're shooting alongside other people who have had careers in film and stuff like that. Right. Uh huh. But alternatively, (laughs) oftentimes when you're doing like, you know, uh, stuff for, uh, you know, more commercial clients or something like that, or, or maybe a local nonprofit or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like odds are you have much, much more experience if they have any at all. So it's like, to get to the end product, it's like you have to kind of be authentic to your experience and be authentic to your, you know, um, history and your, you know, the projects that you've done in the past and stuff like that. And just know and have the confidence to know that you know how to execute this properly. You just have to apply influence in the right way in order to get the job done the way you need it to. Right. And the applying the influence is the tricky part. Yeah. And that's when you have to deal with feelings and personalities Oof. and different styles. And that's, that's why I do things like, uh, like throw a red flag up in the middle of an edit that I know yeah. is terrible and bad. So people, but I know everything else is great and works, but I just know this, these types of people that if they don't say something, if they don't give a note, they're not going to feel like their mark has been made on the project. Well, that's that's entirely, in my opinion, that's entirely the fault of like corporate America. Yeah, because we're all on an email chain, right? So we all have to fucking say like, I agree. I think we should blah blah blah. It's like that was needless. You didn't have to say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so everyone probably feels like they have to chip in. Otherwise, they feel like they're invisible on this. But it's like if you're getting a good product, if you're getting the thing you need, if you're getting the thing that will delight you and your customers and you know whatever, then it's like. Maybe you don't have to, you know, change course or do something like that. Yeah. There is definitely a lot of uh, credit that people feel is necessary. Yep. That I don't think anyone really cares about. Yeah. Those are, those are really short term games. Like that, that's the thing. It's like a lot of people get sucked into that, especially in the corporate world, but it, those are such short term games and such short term people. Like nobody is going to remember who, uh, because it's know, put it's up such, a flag on a video or something like that, but they are going to remember what the video looked like, what it felt like, the end product, and how everything kind of like pulled together at the end, and how it benefited the business, the nonprofit, the whomever. Yes, and I do feel like people definitely uh, tally up their credits when they're trying to gain something from a company. Yeah. So like, oh, I need, I oh, a, a position's opening up. Let me get my name on as many things as possible. Yes, and that is not authentic. 
No, that's that's n- not authentic, nor is it effective. Man, way to go full circle, Chris Scott. Yeah. Um, anything to plug? Uh, just follow me on Instagram. Uh, next month, we're launching our scripted podcast on the 23rd of February. Awesome. We don't have a title yet. We don't have a website yet. I was just about to ask. Like, I was like, cool, what's the title? How do we search it? <laughs> we don't have uh, anything on it yet, but we have a launch date. And so uh, it's a bit nerve wracking. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to launch in like two weeks. I'll announce okay. it in two weeks. So maybe next week's episode, we'll, I'll have more information. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll uh, have some more information um, on the scripted podcast. Uh, for me, just follow me at, at Atish Mazish. Um, I'm rounding out the content. Uh, I am was doing a little uh, short write-up. I'm rounding out the content for the first uh, Ramen Profitable Reading List stack. So my stack for January, the, the books that I've completed and kind of my thoughts surrounding those. Uh, still need to create a social media account. Man, I drag my feet when it comes to social media because I just have such a hard time with it. Like, I just don't do it. But I need to knuckle under and I need to do it because how else are we going to uh, drive our podcast? How else are we going to do that? So uh, the Ramen Profitable Reading List is underway. I dig that. Um, I also have some more ideas. Chris and I are going to work out on something in YouTube or rather an old idea, but just uh, stacking up new ideas there. So just a little uh a little teaser for you we may have some youtube content in the up until then uh you can follow me at at atish on instagram and uh keep up on everything flow roll uh everything uh podcast related and everything just my personal life and going to the gym early and walking my dog 